only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel and are in no way intimidated by your opponents. For them, this is evidence of their destruction, but of your salvation. And God is doing this. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Paul the Apostle is writing to his church at Philippi. And you know, most of the time, Paul's letters are addressing a serious problem that needs to be resolved. But, but here in the case of the Philippians, it, it's a church kind of like the village. There's nothing terrible that Paul has to correct. And so he's writing to them to encourage them, to lift them up, to show them and to help them see how to live a fuller life in the spirit of fuller life as the body of Christ. And when Paul does this, you know, one of the things he's trying to do is to say, how do we make room in a church? How do we make room in a community of faith for others to be a part of that community, for others who may not be exactly like us, and yet are welcome to the body of Christ who bring different gifts and graces. Paul is trying to lay out how to be one body, one mind, one spirit, with one God and one spirit. This idea of unity, of coming together and really showing that we follow Christ, we glorify God, we are seeking together to do the will and the work of God in the world. That's the goal of the church is this kind of unity and oneness and being together in love. And certainly, when we look at the world today and we see how divided and how argumentative and how difficult the world is, you know, it really seems like getting this piece right and letting part of this be the witness of the church, wow, what, what a way to say to the world, this is who we are. We have learned how to be one people, one body, one spirit. So Paul lays before us, in this 
letter to the Philippians, and it's short. You might want to read the whole thing. But he's saying, you know, there are two things, at least, that Christ shows us that Jesus did in his own life, that Jesus has modeled for us, that if we will do these things, we will find that kind of harmony and unity in the body of Christ. And the first thing that Paul puts out there is the idea of humility. Now, we know that Christ modeled humility. We know that that's who Jesus was. And, of course, pride says, oh, I want things my way. Humility says, well, you know, your way may be okay. Pride says, I have the answer. Humility says, well, I don't know. There may be other answers out there. Pride says, that like Paul, you know, being the Pharisee of the Pharisees with, with power, privilege, authority over others, lots and lots of money, oh, those are the only things that we need in life. And humility says, you know what, giving all that up for the sake of knowing Christ has made all the difference in my life. There is this real contrast between pride in what humility offers. And, you know, Paul talks about humility as not thinking about my own interests, but those of others. It's a very simple idea because, in fact, in the Greek, the opposite of pride, or sorry, the opposite of humility isn't really pride. It's more something like contentiousness. The opposite of humility is shoving my thing down your throat and not being able to listen to you. You know, uh, I think in some ways we've seen some of that really magnified during the pandemic, right? People who say, I'm not going to wear a mask because I don't have to. And humility would say, well, I know wearing a mask will protect you. It's in your interest that I do this. Or people who say, I'm not getting a vaccine, I don't want one, I don't need one, I don't care. Or those who say, I understand that when we all, when 75% of us have either had the virus or had the vaccine, the pandemic is pretty much controlled. And so I get a vaccine, even if I'm not sure about it, because I know it's in the best interest of the common good. That's you know, this concept of, of humility, uh, what Jesus places before us is this very simple idea that I think about what others want. And, you know, we've done some of that. I know when we blended the service, uh, not everybody likes the traditional music, not everybody likes the praise music, but you're like, okay, well, uh, you know, for the sake of the unity of the church and being one body, I'll be okay with it. That's a certain amount of humility. And just, just uh, thinking about what's the greater good for the community and looking out for the interests of others. I mean, after all, think about this. If Jesus had only looked out for his own interests, there would be no reason for him to go to the cross. He would have just said, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not deserving of any punishment. You all are out of luck. But instead, who Jesus thinks about is all of us and our salvation and goes to the cross on our behalf. 
And so Paul is very clear, that humility of Christ, that willingness to think about the good of the other will carry us a long way in the church to unity and togetherness. But then Paul says, you know, there's a second thing here, a second principle that we really want to pay attention to. And if you think about the cross, not only is Jesus concerned for the interests and well-being of others, the good of the whole, but he also enters into some suffering, some self-denial, some, some uh, self-discipline to make his way to that cross for us. It's not the most pleasant thing for him to have done. And yet, this kind of discipline and self-control is part of that way of Christ that can lead to unity. I mean, you, you all understand at some level in the human person. So say uh, you're doing something, I don't know, you're working or you're working on something or a puzzle or reading or whatever, and your stomach says, I am hungry, feed me. And your hand says, oh, there are chips in right over there. I could just shove some chips in my mouth. And your tongue says, oh, but in the kitchen is cake. And then your brain says, yeah, but an apple would be better. Now tell me you haven't gone through that kind of scenario in your own life. Now, you know that your desire and, you know, would be either to grab something quick or to get that piece of cake because yum, yum, yum. But really, what would be in the best is a little bit of self-denial. That you would either just say, well, I'll be hungry for a couple hours till dinner, or you go get the apple. Because in the long run, you know if it's about the chips and if it's about the cake, if it's about just sort of whatever I desire, you're going to get things that are wrong with you. You're going to end up a diabetic or have heart disease or pack on the pounds, which the pandemic hasn't helped anyway. So, you know, it, there's this always this constant sense of competing desires. And the same is true within a body like this, the church, the body of Christ. There are these competing desires, but sometimes we have to set aside our own desire or preference. And it may give us just that little bit of discomfort or or, or not feeling as good as we might if we had our way. But you know what? In the long run, and this will ring true for older members, is it really worth leaving the church because the carpet is green instead of red? Does Christ really care if you like red carpet better than green carpet in the sanctuary? I think not. And so even when you walk in and you go, you know, I don't really like the green carpeting, yeah, but who cares in the long run? It's not going to affect your salvation. But it could affect the health of the body if you have to make it your thing all the time. Uh, you know this. Uh, for those who are newer members, this used to once upon a time long ago be red, and when it was changed, apparently it was a 
big deal. I wasn't here then, thank goodness for that, because I'd have just said, get over it. Y'all know me enough by now. So this second thing that Paul is trying to say to us is, you know, sometimes you have to have a little discipline. You have to have a little self-control. You have to bite your tongue because it really isn't as important as you're making it out to be. And when we can do these things where, where we think about the interests of others, where we're willing to, you know, have a little discipline on our own part and say, you know, I don't have to win every battle. You go a long way toward having this unity, this oneness, this togetherness in Christ. And again, we do a pretty good job of that. There's a young man by the name of Chris Norton who uh, grew up in a small town in Iowa and loved to play sports. Now, he wasn't the most gifted of all athletes, but the one thing he did was he worked really, really hard. I mean, he has that kind of Tom Brady mentality where, uh, you know, he'll go beyond what you're supposed to do uh, to be even better at uh, whichever sport it was. And the one thing he was good at in football was tackling. And so as he graduated from high school, and a little Division III school gave him a football scholarship, and off he went to Luther College to play football. Now, any of you who know college sports know you don't play as a freshman. Why? Because they want to keep you humble. They want you to have some self-discipline and self-control and realize that it's about the team and when you're all contributing to the team and getting your egos out of the way, the team is going to be a more successful team. Everybody knows that. And so most of the time, the freshmen are supposed to watch and learn uh, how the system works and get their egos out of the way. But there in the fall, on one kickoff, the coach put Chris in the football game. Now, he knew as a freshman this was a big deal. And as he says, you know, I wanted to prove myself. I was going to make the play. This was my big chance. And he says he, he lined up on the right side, and they kicked off the ball on the right side, and he took off running down the field as fast as he could. And he said, I saw the opening that the ball carrier was coming through, and I launched into that tackle. The problem was he mistimed it just by a fraction. And when the play was over, Chris was face down on the ground with no feeling from his neck down. Of course, uh, they rushed him to the hospital. They helicoptered him to the Mayo Clinic, where as the surgeon went in to repair the broken vertebrae and the damaged spinal column, told Chris and then told his parents he has a 3% chance of ever having any feeling below the neck for the rest of his life. Well, the surgery went fine, and Chris started praying to God. You know, I don't ever need to play sports again. I just want to walk. 
And his parents were praying to God. What about his future? What about college? What about marriage? What about a career? What's he going to do? And gradually, as he was there in the hospital, he began to get some feeling back in his upper body. And after moving into rehab, he got a little bit of feeling in his legs as well. He had enough uh, mobility in his hands to operate uh, a wheelchair, a motorized wheelchair, and so he actually got to go home. But Chris decided he wanted to go back to college. Now, you have to understand, in the hospital and in rehab, when they said you need an hour of physical therapy, he'd say, I will have three. He worked as hard as he could, prayed as hard as he could. And here's the remarkable thing about wanting to go back to college. All the while he was in the hospital and in rehab, a group of his friends from that football team drove every weekend, the couple hours there and back, to be with Chris, to encourage him, to uplift him, to tell him he still mattered, to tell him he was still part of them and their team every weekend. And then they took it upon themselves to help him go back to college. They brushed his teeth. They took him to the shower. When, uh, when he was first there, they would set up a schedule of who was going to be with Chris all night to make sure he was okay. They got him to his classes. And you would think, after these guys were doing this constantly, that if they were going out to a restaurant or going tubing on the river, they'd go, whew, now we get a break. No, they would take Chris along. They would not leave him by himself. Chris would then, his senior year, meet a young woman who couldn't see his wheelchair but could only see the person. She was a worker in the foster care system, and they got married. They adopted five kids. But you know, here's the thing. If Chris had not been humble enough to say, I need help, and I'm willing to accept it, if he had not been open to the fact that the other people wanted to help him and stay in relationship to him. If he had not had the discipline and the, the, the self-control to say, I'm going to work as hard as I can to get myself back, he would not have been able on his graduation day from college with the help of the friend who wheeled him on stage and his fiance to get up out of the wheelchair and walk about six steps to receive his diploma. This story reminds me of exactly the kind of thing Paul is trying to talk about 
that through humility, thinking about the interests of others, through some self-discipline and self-control, we open room for others to be in relationship with us. And I guarantee you, he has a better life than 90% of the people out there because of the depths of the relationships of caring that he has today. That's really what it's all about. It's that moment when you're in the church or with your, with your family or with your friends and you have this overwhelming feeling that, yeah, this is how it's supposed to be. Everything's right. That is Paul's message. That is Christ's example for us. And in the days and months ahead, as we come back together more and more, if we can keep this idea of thinking about others, if we can keep this idea of some self-discipline, we will be amazed at what God can do in our midst to make us walk in ways we never thought possible. Make room. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit,